When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. I'm your host, Conor Bumley, and I'm joined today by Ned Keating, who's just enjoyed a wonderful two weeks traveling France. And now he's back here doing what he loves on the Football Digest podcast. And what a way to come back, Ned. England defeated Scotland last night 3-1 in what was potentially a banana skin on, on Monday. Me and Mark Jones were on here talking about how it felt like a really tricky game for England, a kind of game where you saw them potentially falling to an unexpected defeat, but they came through it with flying colours. What are your initial thoughts about England's victory? Were you surprised at how comfortable it actually was in the end? I think it was uh, a professional performance, I think is is probably the best way to describe it. Um, I think they managed to, of course, there was always going to be a lot more passion and emotion. There always is, you know, it doesn't matter what level you play at when it comes to a kind of local derby and a fierce rivalry um, and, and a storied one like England's and Scotland's. You know, there's always going to be a bit of emotion attached to it. And yes, there was a passion and yes, there was some some emotion from the England players, but I think they did very well to perhaps maybe not let that rule them and, and, you know, park that a little bit and kind of just got on with the job at hand and treated it like they would do any other match. I think Scotland maybe perhaps put too much emotion into it, definitely on it ahead of the game. Um, you know, great scenes in the crowd and, and the crowd kind of really tried their best to G the players up. But you kind of wonder whether or not there was kind of too much emotion, too much passion on show. Whereas for England, I think it was just a, a professional display and and one where they kind of just got on with the task at hand and, and did what they needed to do to come away with the victory. I think Scotland kind of perhaps again felt this was a moment forward and perhaps there was too much pressure on them maybe as well. You know, as you said there, you know, England maybe went into that game with slight underdogs because of how results went at the weekend in the qualifiers. The mood music around England wasn't the best going into this game and, and around Scotland, there was a real buzz. We were on the verge of qualifying for the Euros. We're at home to England and we can really challenge them. And, and maybe that put a bit too much pressure on the team as well, in addition to the elation and the passion that was shown from the crowd beforehand. And, and maybe the, the everything just got the, the better of Scotland. Maybe the emotion just got the better of them last night. Whereas England, like I said, I think very professional, very clinical in what they needed to do and just got on with the task at hand, did what they needed to do and, and did everything that they needed to do to get the win. We've got to talk firstly about Jude Bellingham because... He was just a cut above last night. His performance for a 20-year-old, I would say it was frightening. You know, we're, we're getting a glimpse here into who I think will a player who will be dominating world football for the next decade or so. What did you make of him last night? Am I maybe going a bit too far with the potentially going to run the game of football in the next 10 years? Or do you think he is actually that good? 
Well, the funny thing is, is before kickoff, you, you, for anyone that watched the coverage on Channel 4, you had all the pundits going through it and saying, oh, I don't like him in this kind of little bit more advanced role, this this almost like a number 10 role uh, in behind Harry Kane. Maybe James Madison should be playing there. You know, I don't think it's Bellingham's best role. And then he goes and delivers a performance like that in that position. Um, the kid's special. We know that. You know, we've said it multiple times before on this podcast um, about how great he is and and we could probably do weekly shows just on him, really, just talking about his highlight reel and, and everything that he's doing. The the impact that he's had at Real Madrid is is nothing short of brilliant and world-class and superb. You know, you've even got players like Danny Carbajal who've seen it all and seen so many great players down the years uh, playing alongside Real Madrid and, and suggest that none of those have had the impact that, that Bellingham had instantly at Real Madrid. He's transferred that form back into England. Um, he is England's main man for the next you know, 10, 15 years, there's, there's no question about it. And I think when the time comes for Harry Kane to either be, you know, removed from the captaincy or he takes the decision himself to step away from the captaincy, I think Bellingham, he has to be in that conversation for me. Absolutely. Uh, to be next England captain, there'll be a few others in there as well. Um, he is a man who plays well above his 20 years. He's not your typical 20-year-old. I mean, we saw it even in the World Cup, wasn't it? The... Uh, when he scored the goal against Iran in that first game and the way that he spoke afterwards. I mean, back then he was 19, but he was still speaking like a 29-year-old, almost the maturity that he shows. That's the biggest thing in this game. And again, we saw that last night, the maturity, you know, a 20-year-old playing in their first game against Scotland for England, you're kind of thinking, oh, again, maybe the occasion might get to them, the emotion might overawe them. And he didn't. He just looked like it was any other game, playing with his mates. It just comes so easy to him. It's frightening, as you say, and... And, you know, it's, he can be anything he wants to be. That's, that's the simple matter of it. If he wants to be the greatest player in the world, he will be the greatest player in the world. Make no mistake about it. His mental side is as good as his actual ability on the ball. And that's what makes him into being such a great player. And as you say there, he will be dominating games for, for many, many years to come. Do you think he's the finished article? Do you think there's still a level for him? I mean, I wonder what on earth that next level could be, but he's he's 20 years old now, and I would say normally for a midfielder, you're looking at probably 23, 24 being the, the peak sort of years where that begins, and he's obviously a few years away from us. So do you think he can get even better and find another level to where he's at right now? No, the thing is, is that yes, yes, he can because he's still only 20. He's still learning. But the question then that you kind of go to is that like logically you'll say, yes, he can go to another level. There is another level for him. But what else can he add to his game at this point? He's got the goals. He's got the work rate. He's got the passing. He's got the vision. He's got the tackling. He's got everything that you need from a midfielder. I'm not entirely sure what else he can do other than playing goal, maybe. Like he... Yes, logic dictates that as a 20-year-old, there is still room for improvement, but I'm just not entirely sure where that room comes from because he has absolutely everything that you would need as a modern midfielder in the current game. He's good in the air as well. Arrives late into the box. Is the man that can kind of, you know, th those third-name runs, he does what Lampard did great for Chelsea all those years ago, you know, arriving late into the box. He can play players in like classic number 10 does. He does all the, the grunt work as well, potentially, like your, your kind of modern sixes do as well. He he has every single attribute that you're looking for from a player. And yet we're still kind of going, oh, but there might be still more to come. So it is frightening in that respect. I'm not sure where else he can go because he is operating at such a good level already. Um, maybe it's just a case of maintaining it. You know, that that's, that's the biggest thing perhaps is that we've seen, you know, so many players before perform so well at a young age. You know, Neymar, for example, springs to mind in that we all kind of all thought, oh, this is the guy to really take the mantle on from 
from Cristiano Ronaldo and, and Lionel Messi as, as the next big global superstar. And well, he never really delivered, did he? Like he was great at the start of his career, went to Barcelona, had that great partnership, then went to Paris Saint-Germain and frankly, it all fell apart really. And, you know, the fact that he's now moved to Saudi Arabia and at the age of 31, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's disappointing because you would still suggest that had he continued that level that he showed when he was younger, he'd still have, you know, at least three or four years at the, at the elite. And, and again, you know, Lionel Messi showing uh, as well what he was able to achieve and, and Cristiano Ronaldo to an extent as well, you know, probably six years past that 31 years that, that Neymar currently is. So maybe that's the challenge for Bellingham, not adding things to his game, but maintaining this brilliant level. I also think as well, one of the smartest things he's done in his career, and he's done it twice now, is avoid coming to the Premier League uh, when, when transfers have been offered. Obviously moved to Borussia Dortmund from Birmingham City um, when there was Premier League interest. I think Manchester United were leading the chase for him among the Premier League clubs then. Uh, and obviously this summer moving to Real Madrid ahead of like to Liverpool Manchester City. And what that does is it allows him to flourish without the spotlight being fully on him. You know, Jaden Sancho, we'll take him as an example. A fellow Englishman who was with him at Borussia Dortmund comes back to the Premier League. The spotlight's back on him. He was able to grow, flourish and develop in Germany away from the spotlight a little bit because no one would be looking at him going, oh, what's he going to do this week and this week and this week? Because he's kind of, you know, almost a little bit out of sight, out of mind in terms of how the coverage of the game revolves around the Premier League solely in England. And they're kind of, you know, the European games and the European leagues are kind of just touched on a little bit. You know, how many bad games did Jude Bellingham have for Borussia Dortmund? Or how many bad games are you aware that Jude Bellingham have for Borussia Dortmund? He probably didn't have any, but of course he did, you know, have one or two. But we're not aware of them because... That's not the coverage. We're not looking at the the, the Bundesliga as much here. We're, we're looking at the Premier League and likewise in the league. They have bad games. We won't notice them as much unless it's in El Clasico. Um, and that's the that's the big benefit for him here. When he does make mistakes, when he does have bad games, he won't be you know kind of magnified like it would be if he was in the Premier League. And week in week out, everyone will be looking at him. You know, kind of similar to Declan Rice at Arsenal. What's he going to do? Has he justified the fee? Is he still performing to the level that we expect from him week in, week out? He has to be like 110% every week in the Premier League and get away from 100% in the league because we're not as focused that much on him. So it allows him to to flourish and develop away from the limelight. And I think that's the smartest thing that he's done here. And it will allow him to, to I think, maintain the levels that he's shown, which I think is the big challenge for him going forward. He'll, he'll achieve that. There's no doubt in my mind about it. But it is perhaps maybe not adding other facets to his game because I think he's the well-rounded midfielder already. It's just where... Can we see this going? Can he continue it? Can he play at this level for 10, 15 years? We'll jump now to, well, the battle for the, the England number one shirt. Um, Aaron Ramsdale got the nod for the Scotland game, which I don't think was a, a surprise. It seems logical though now that it's it's now Ramsdale and Pickford battling for that shit. I think Nick Pope, the drawbacks to Nick Pope's game are his ability with his feet. And I think it's clear that Ramsdale and Pickford are a notch or two ahead of Nick Pope in that regard. So do you think now Ramsdale and Pickford, this is the battle for the number one and it's essentially Jordan Pickford's to lose? I don't think there is a battle. I think the way that, that Gareth Southgate has been loyal and we'll come on to Harry Maguire later on um, a little bit and, and the loyalty that he's shown to him. But Southgate has been very loyal with his players. Um, and if you perform for him or you don't give him a reason to to drop you, he'll continue to pick you. So 
with that respect that, you know, Aaron Ramsdale could have a phenomenal season for Arsenal and win the Golden Glove. I still don't expect him to be number one uh, should he even qualify for the Euros next summer in that first game. I still expect it to be Jordan Pickford. Um, that should be a battle. You're right. I think they're two similar players in terms of how modern football is played, how Southgate wants his goalkeepers to play as well. Um, you know, he, he does like pick his distribution and I think Ramsdale's is better than Pope. So therefore that puts them to as the, as the kind of two main contenders in it. For me, it should be Ramsdale. Um, and this is coming from a Tottenham fan saying that the Arsenal goalkeeper should be in number one. But it's because he is more involved in the bigger matches um, and, and the bigger events. You know, he'll be in the Champions League this year. Arsenal will be looking to put together a title change. So it'll be big matches kind of every other week almost for them in terms of, you know, against the other title contenders. Jordan Pickford's going to be, it looks like it's it's going to be involved in another relegation battle for Everton. So yeah, he's going to be tested quite a lot week in, week out, you know, trying to kick the ball out of the net. So I don't know, maybe that plays into it. Aaron Ramsdale perhaps might not be as tested as much, but he will be involved in those bigger matches, those bigger nights, you know, where, where the focus and the attention is on it a bit more. And um, yeah, that's not to say that Pickford's ever done badly for England. I don't think there's too many moments that he's he's done badly in his shirt. And of course, Connor, you being a Sunderland fan, I'm sure you'll stick up for him and say he's never had a bad moment, uh, the former Sunderland Academy graduate uh, in an England shirt. Um, so yeah, it would be harsh to drop Pickford. But for me, I think Ramsdale's experience in those bigger matches this season will be crucial and more important to England going into the Euros next summer. But of course, as I said, you know, Southgate's loyal almost to a fault perhaps and we'll come on to that with other players I'm sure a little bit later on and you kind of look then at kind of you know we could almost name the England squad now I think because we know how Southgate is and, and we know that he trusts the players and again that that kind of defence and especially that that you know I mean even the, actually no the back four I was about to say the kind of the two centre halves and the goalkeeper haven't changed much but even even that entire back four say for the left back chopping and changing it has been Walker has been Maguire Stones and Pickford, and then a left back who could be Trippier or Shaw or Chilwell or whatever. That's the only one that's really changed. So then they built up that partnership and they kind of know and understand each other and how they play, which again, to then try and build it up. And, you know, especially with an international team, to try and build it up nine months before the start of a major tournament might be a little bit harder. So while I would go with Ramsdale, I can understand why Southgate would stick with Pickford because he trusts him, he's loyal to him, and of course that partnership that he's got with the rest of the defence, which has been around for <laughs> probably the best part of Southgate. What is it? We're getting to nearly seven years in charge, isn't it? Now I think that defence has pretty much been the same throughout. Yeah, I think the only thing with Jordan Pickford is, as you touched on it, but he hasn't really done anything wrong in an England shirt, and until he he starts to, I don't see him getting dropped. And the other thing is, is there's reports from Arsenal that they're gonna maybe try David Rea as the number one at times. So that could change things there. But we'll switch, you know, we talked about the defence. Uh, Lewis Dunk got the nod at centre-back for England against Scotland. No Colwell, which was a little bit of a surprise for me. I thought he would get some minutes on this um, international week. But it shows that England maybe have a bit more centre-back depth than people think. I mean, Lewis Dunk plays for Brighton, who are one of the better teams in the Premier League. They're a team that you know we rant and rave about whenever we talk about them on this podcast. Do you think that maybe England's centre-back weakness, I think a lot of people look at it as a weakness because we don't nearly have the depth that we'd expect like we do in other positions, but do you think it's maybe not as bad as people think? There's still concerns about it because of the number of those that are, you look at the other positions and the others, you know, the top clubs, the higher-end clubs in the Premier League and, and, and in European football, 
that other players in positions are playing for. And again, you know, the point of goalkeeper being you've got two goalkeepers that are in the Champions League for, for English Cups this year, so that's not really an issue. But centre-back is the one that kind of, you go Man United and Man City with John Stones and, and Harry Maguire. And then, you know, you're looking at Brighton or, you know, Crystal Palace and, and the Brighton are in European competition. I'm not denigrating them there, but but I think that kind of shows that, that there is still perhaps a, a lack of depth there. I'm surprised that Levi Colwell didn't get an opportunity and, and likewise Eddie Nketiah because now, quite frankly, asking what was the point in including them in the squad in the first place if you're not going to take a look at them. Yes, I understand not playing them in, in a qualifier because of, you know, then you basically you know, tied them down to the country. It's a little bit unfair, but frankly, it's different. They can go off and, you know, Harvey Barnes, for example, obviously the, the talk about him before the game, he's only had one cap for England and that was in a friendly three years ago and now he can go and play for Scotland instead because he's not played a competitive game for England and England don't seem to fancy him. And again, likewise, you know, they could have a look at Nketia or or uh, or Cole Will and, and decide that they're not for them, especially Nketia, because of course he can, he can play for other countries as well. Um, you know, they might decide that he's not in play, that they want to go forward and he's not, you know, tied to him because he played a competitive game that's only friendly. So I'm not sure what the point in calling them two up was to not to not give them any minutes. It was a, a strange call for me for me there. Um centre back is a tough one for England. Dunk's definitely reinvented himself, I think, a little bit of Brighton under Roberto Di Scherbe. He's definitely more confident on the ball, I'd say, uh, and coming out from the back. And again, you know, we've had a modern game he's played. He's, he's looking more and more like a modern centre-half. Um, so another strong season for him, and there's no reason why he can't be in that England uh, squad for the Euros, especially with, you know, other mainstays. You know, Conor Cody's not going to be in that squad now because he's playing in the Championship. Um, Eric Dyer was in the World Cup squad, wasn't he, as well? And he seems to have, you know, completely fallen off the face of the earth at Tottenham. He's, he's not really going to be getting any game time, I think, this season there. So there is, is spaces in that squad for depth. You know, Mark Gay is going to be one. Takaya Tamori could really have a chance to, to nail down his spot. And again, that's someone that we don't really talk about. You know, Takaya Tamori is playing week in, week out in the best defensive league in the world, doing great things. He's he's a mainstay in that AC Milan side and, and he's going to be uh, in the Champions League again this season. And yet he struggles to get in this England squad, which I can't entirely work out why um, so yes there is perhaps a little bit of a worry in terms of the depth there um, you know in, compared to other positions where I think England were quite blessed but then when you kind of nail down into it you kind of go mm, it's not it's not as bad but it's not great either you know one or two injuries to key starters and, and then you kind of start seeing it get a bit exposed um, so it's one of those where you'll be crossing your fingers ahead of the Euros next summer that that there is no massive injury worries at centre-half going into that tournament. Other players brought in at start. Rashford got a start. Calvin Phillips got a start. Phil Ford and then Kieran Trippier also start. And I mean, I, I think you could look at that England team that played against Scotland and, and possibly argue it was stronger than the team that played against Ukraine. And especially... The way that this England team lined up and played, it was more intense than the team that played in Ukraine. I felt like the the team in Ukraine was quite passive and maybe that was a director from Gareth Southgate, but they didn't take the game to the opposition. Whereas last night I felt England really did take the game to Scotland. Well, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, last night maybe he played players a little bit more in their correct positions. You know, playing James Madison as a left winger against Ukraine. I'm not entirely sure what he was hoping to achieve from that because Madison's been excelling in the in the kind of number 10 role for Spurs uh, this season. So I'm not entirely sure what you hope for when you play players at position. Um, that being said, played Kieran Trippier at left back last night and Trippier done well. Again, that's a concern for me going forward. This this continued reliance on playing Trippier as a left back, I'm not sure I entirely agree with it. He's not that badly there for England at any point, but 
you know, there's there's better options and, and better players to be looking at at left back um, uh, and, for England. And just it is a slight concern that, that that seems to be kind of like Southgate seems to go back to that quite a lot. Um, you're right, more intensity, more direct runners. Um, and I thought to say Bakayasaka isn't a direct runner. Um, you know, it, we've seen that for Arsenal this year, but, you know, Phil Foden again, direct gets in behind. Marcus Rashford, likewise, the same as well. So in terms of the players, you know, I think the balance of the squad was a little bit better last night than perhaps it was against Ukraine. Calvin Phillips, six minutes of football for, for Manchester City this season, but seems to put that behind him and, and you know, did a good job, um, as he always seems to do for England, to be fair. Again, another player that, um, you know, Southgate always seems to perhaps get the better out of these players, you know, that when they come to him and that, that speaks from man management, that skills that he has, that these players can perhaps not be playing week in, week out for their club and still deliver for England. Um, so you can be, you know, in, in, impressed and happy with how it went. Um, but was it really experimenting? You know, it, it wasn't. What did, we, what, what did we learn from that game against Scotland last night about players that we didn't already know? We know that Marcus Rashford can play on the left wing running behind and, and Phil Foden on the right. What did, did we really learn much? Drew Bellingham's great. We knew that. You know, what, what, what did we learn? What, what have we come away from that game against Scotland learning? You know, I, I think it was a missed opportunity there, again, to look at perhaps a few other players. And again, you know, going back to Colwell and Nketiah to see whether or not they've got what it takes to cut it at the international level. Um, yeah, I, I I just think it was a you know the the changes worked, but we've we've come away with not many answers to to perhaps a few questions that we had going into the game. I think as well with Southgate, there's some. I would say contradictions in what he says because he talked about Phil Foden and said that he's never seen Phil Foden play um, in the central areas for Man City. So that's why he didn't play him against Ukraine. But then you also see him play Calvin Phillips and then say that Phillips needed minutes, which to me is confusing because if he's not getting minutes, then he shouldn't be in the England team. Like the England team isn't the place to give players minutes. Um I don't know. I found I found Southgate's interviews to be interesting. His explanations for why he was playing certain players over other players to be, at times, kind of contradictory. I mean, it's the same thing with the Jordan Henderson thing. We've talked sort of everyone knows about. He's went into a league that isn't very competitive, and he starts the game against Ukraine when he hasn't been starting games for England. And to me, that felt like a a statement he was making almost of you can't tell me not to play players because they're playing in in poor you know levels of football, but. I found that Southgate's comments, particularly the one about Phil Foden, was very, very interesting. And I would almost say strange that he, he said that he couldn't play in... I mean, as well, you talk about James Madison, who's been playing in number 10 for Tottenham, and then he puts him on the left wing. James Madison's not a left winger. So how can you say that Phil Foden can't play in the number 10, but you can swap James Madison? It just didn't make any sense to me. It does seem like it's been a weird window. For Southgate, I must say, um, he seems like a kind of I don't know, like even even in last night's press conference, I'm watching it back, and you know, again, we're going to come on to Harry Maguire a bit. Um, I'm sorry to keep teasing it, but you know, even even the very spiky response that he gave about it, you know, he was almost close to going, I think, full John Fury and flipping the table at one point when asked about you know Harry Maguire and the treatment that he got. 
um, and and saying that it's a joke. I've never seen anyone had such bad treatment from him. And I was having flashbacks at that time of the Euro '96 and the Pizza Hut advert afterwards. And I was like, "Hang on, mate! Didn't you have that same treatment as well?" So then maybe he he kind of emphasised with Maguire. But yes, his comments have been. I don't know. It seems like. Yeah. There isn't pressure on him. There is no, I mean, there is always pressure on the England manager, but there isn't any increased pressure. There's no one going, oh, he, there's no louder noises saying that he should be sacked. You know, there always is, you know, a few percent of voices that say he's ruining the generation. If we had a better manager, we could do great stuff. And I look at Sven Goran Eriksson and what he achieved with the supposed golden generation. You can have a better manager at club level. He doesn't cut it at international. We've seen that time again. Um, so, it's the usual noise that he's had in terms of his future, how he picks, et cetera, et cetera. There's no increased noise around Southgate. But yet he he kind of seems to have been like a man under pressure, like a man with like loads of weight on his shoulder, the way that he's been reacting in the media. He's normally quite calm, composed, collected, picks his words very, very well, very smart with what he says. Uh, a great, you know, from his, and perhaps stems from his, his punditry days, that he's a very good communicator. And yet it just seems like something's changed at the, you know, not so much the mask is slipping, but we're seeing and not necessarily a nastier side to him, but there is, you know, a ruthless streak inside him. We're seeing a kind of angry at that Southgate that I think we've seen, uh, you know, again with that Henderson, um, you know, the comments about Henderson the other the other day as well, talking about that and the, the fact that he's playing Saudi Arabia and it's like, it doesn't, you know, and, and his comments on that were a bit interesting and the comments about Maguire last night were interesting. And then as you say there, you know, his comments about, I've not seen Foden play centrally for Man City. I'm not sure what he's been watching this week. Then he admits that, you know, he was asked about Luis Rubiales in his pre-match press conference as well and said, I wasn't aware that he'd resigned. So he must have been living under a rock, I think, this week because we'd all seen that, that he resigned in an exclusive interview with Piers Morgan. What a place to do that. Um, it, it just seems odd. Like everything, you know, his selections, his comments, his, it, it seemed, this doesn't seem like a normal Southgate. So I don't know if say it's gone on in the background or, or whatever else. And of course we can't allude to it. We shouldn't allude to it if, if anything else has gone on the background. So I do apologise for that. But it just seems like we've, we've seen a different Southgate with the press this month. You know, like I said, normally he's quite considered in his responses. And it just seems that he was a little bit more spiky this this past week than usual. We'll jump now. We'll tease Harry Maguire. So I may as well jump on the, the Harry Maguire um, own goal last night. It was pretty unlucky to score the own goal, but the the one question I had is is that I don't understand why he brought Harry Maguire on again. We talked about giving Colwell some minutes. Um, that felt more logical to me, and I think the amount of pressure that's kind of on Harry Maguire at the minute. I think you just put him in a, a situation that wasn't necessarily good for him. And you talked about needing to learn. You know, what did we learn from this England game? Well, I think if Colwell came on for half an hour, we could see how he fit into the team. We would have learned quite a bit and see if he is good enough to be, you know, sort of a regular fringe England player. So, you know, obviously the Maguire situation in general, what's your thoughts on that? But also what was your thoughts on Southgate putting him on for the final half an hour of the game? Well, see, I would say if he had, uh, <laughs> if he didn't have bad luck, he'd have no luck at all. And I think that's what we can uh, put on Harry Maguire's head at this point, isn't it? You know, you kind of, you do feel sorry for him, but he needs saving from himself, I think, at this point. Um, so... Strange from, I don't know. Is it is it strange from Southgate to put him on? Um, obviously, Mark Gay went off at half time uh, with an injury, and in, I mean England are team that were up at that point. Though it's not like it's nil nil and you're 
I mean, it's a friendly as well for Christ's sake. Right? It's like there's nothing that matters. And yes, had England lost, you know, I'm sure I'm sure it'd be a different story. And the back pages would have been calling for him to go at this point. But you know, they, they, you're not losing points. Basically, you're not missing out on qualification for for the Euros or whatever. So at, at that point, where Gay comes up, you kind of wonder, all right, can we give someone else a chance? You know, even if it's not uh, Levi Cole, could we have given you know maybe if tomorrow he was in the squad or whatever, could we have looked at him a little bit more and found out a little bit more about him. Instead, he goes back to Maguire because he still thinks that this is an important game to win because he trusts him and that he needs someone to fill in there. To, well, I was going to say to marshal that defence as well, but then he's still got Kieran Trippier on one side and Kyle Walker on the other who have seen everything for England pretty much. So, yes, it was a strange one in terms of bringing him on because we didn't need the experience at the back at that point as well. Um, you know, obviously, Gay going off injured is a, is a, is a blow, but... There wasn't any need to bring Maguire on there. And as I said, you know, he needs to save him from himself, I think, at this point. You know, we can see, I think his treatment at Man United and the way that, you know, Tenag is towards him is is harsh. I think he is trying to force him out of the club. Um, I mean, he's not the only one. <laughs> see Cristiano Ronaldo last year, see Jaden Sancho as well. Um, that when Eric Tenard doesn't like him, you've not got much left. Um, it's, it's just been unfortunate for him since that transfer fee was slapped on him and it's kind of put this whole spotlight and pressure on him um, that he hasn't been able to cope with but he himself the personality that he is he doesn't want to admit defeat I think you know he's he's a leader he's, you know let's be honest he is a leader um, so he doesn't want to admit defeat in that respect but he he just needs just taking out the foreign line he needed that perhaps summer move to West Ham to reinvigorate his career to give him new life, new verve, new passion, um, rather than sitting on the bench week in, week out at Manchester United. And, and when he does come on, you know, he knows he's not first choice and he's kind of then thinking, do I have to put in an even better performance to get myself back into the team? Um, and likewise with England as well, I don't think it does him any good to to be playing for England at the minute because, again, all the talk around it is, well, he's not playing for Man United, why is he playing for England? And it's just constant, constant, constant. He gets picked in the squad for November. We'll have the same discussions again. Why is he in the squad when when it's not playing for Man United? Other players should be in there on form, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He just continues the narrative. He just needs he needs to move in January. He needs to refine his club form, um, and because we know that there's a good defender there. That's the reason why Manchester United slapped out on him. But yeah, it's just nothing's going right for him at the minute. Bless him. You know, you have to feel sorry for the poor guy. Did his best to clear his lines. Difficult ball to deal with. Any other defender probably would have gone out for a call. Harry Maguire goes in the back of the net. Such is the way that his luck is going at the minute. As I said at the top of the answer, you know, if he didn't have bad luck, he'd have no luck at all. We'll finish off. We'll talk a little bit about Scotland because, you know, we touched on it at the start, but they came into the game and I think a lot of people thought that they had a really good chance of winning this game of football. You know, I think at home, it was a big night. It had a, even though it was a friendly, it didn't feel like it was a friendly. It felt like a really important game. But then once the match started, to me, it looked obvious that England were by far the better side. And we know England on paper are the better side, but I was surprised at how comfortable England were, say, for that 10 minutes after they conceded and Scotland, you know, built up a little bit of pressure to try and get the game at 2-2. But overall, England, I don't think, were really under any threat in the game. And that surprised me. I thought Scotland would offer more of a threat against England I think as I said at the top of the show I think Scotland played the occasion and not the game and I think maybe that got to them that there was so much riding on it that this is like a real real big opportunity for them 
given the trajectory the two sides had been on, uh, for them to go and get a famous victory over England, I think that maybe they attached too much weight to that, too much pressure on that. And that perhaps affected them and got to them a little bit. You know, it's not to say that, you know, England could beat Scotland in nine months' time in Germany in the Euros. If, if both qualifying again, it looks very much likely that both will. And the result's different and that Scotland do get a win over England. I think they've come on leaps and bounds under Steve Clark and they deserve so much credit for, for that. Um, and the style of play and how they're playing and, and, and everything else. And I think they do have a good squad and I think they do have a good team and I think they've got a good style of play. But did England's experience in bigger matches perhaps tell last night? I think so. Um, and, you know, to an extent as well, do Scotland enjoy being the, the kind of, not when I say favourite, I think it was, you know, very touch and go in the bookmakers' markets before. And so, you know, Scotland might have been slight favourites because they were playing at home. So did that kind of, you know, change it, you know, a little bit? Because I think Scotland enjoy, you know, again, when they played against Spain earlier in the qualifiers, I think they enjoyed being the underdog in that. And I think they enjoyed being the underdog against the big teams, you know, kind of because it allows them to fight and it kind of builds like a little bit more kind of desire and hunger in them and, and passion. Um, and, you know, we see it with the Scotland rugby team as well. When they're the underdogs, they kind of like it a little bit more because they like proving people wrong. Whereas obviously last night, it was a little bit different. As you said there, there was a, there was a stronger belief that Scotland could get a result against the big side. And the underdog tag had, had kind of gone by the wayside a little bit. And then it's kind of like, well, we can't prove people wrong. If we win, no one's going to say, oh, well, they've upset the odds there because, you know, a lot of people perhaps expected it instead. So it changes that kind of, mindset going into the game a little bit and maybe that's 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 what got to Scotland in the end like I said you know earlier on in this podcast I think maybe they played the occasion and, and not the game whereas England played the game and and you know put the occasion to one side and the emotion of, of, of a rivalry and that's what's holding the end and got them the win okay Ned well we're out of time now thanks for everyone for joining us this morning thanks for listening thanks Ned for coming on and you know getting back in the groove after your, your week away a couple of weeks away in France and yeah thanks everyone for listening please remember to subscribe and we'll catch you again tomorrow